You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. And I'm Sam Abu Al Samad. So we've made it to episode 42, where it's uh, solidly in middle age. Yeah. Uh, I probably made that joke already because I completely forget uh, well, that's what, what jokes I made. You become solidly middle aged. You start right. to forget things. Yeah. Who are you? Where am I? Uh, anyway, uh, let's Matter parenting one of, one of those two, maybe both. <laughs> well, I think one leads to the other. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Um, accelerates the other. Absolutely. Uh, but let's let's just segue to what we're driving. Speaking of acceleration, and I can't make it work. Uh, anyway, um, you're driving something that actually does accelerate quite well, though. Uh, it accelerates reasonably well. Um, but a couple of days ago, I turned back in uh, the uh, 2017 Mini Clubman John Cooper Works. Um, and this is uh, it's the first Mini I've had a chance to drive in quite a number of years. Um and uh, it's it's the first um, how shall I put this? The first post growth mini. Uh, post growth mini. What do you mean? The first post growth mini that I've that I've driven. So the last time I drove a mini was way back in 2010, um, and the, that was just before or just around the time that they were launching the um, the Countryman. So their first crossover, and you know that that was the first mini that really started yeah. to get big. And uh, since then, all the other minis have gotten progressively larger and larger. And for a brand whose very name is so descriptive of what the car originally was, I'm I'm having a hard time reconciling what's happening with the mini brand. Would you prefer they call it like a seven? (laughs) Um, Maybe. But, you know, I mean, granted, you know, compared to most of the the behemoths on the road in this country, even the biggest minis are still relevant. Yeah, but so and I agree with you. Uh, I was smitten with the first new mini, the R53, that uh, that car, uh, somebody I worked with had one with the the S package and it just the growly little supercharger. And it was very neat. You know, it was tiny and and, uh, just Everything was just done just right. Uh, it's just they've, they kind of suck now. They've gotten big and fat and flabby, and they're huge, especially the Clubman. Well, I, yeah, well, I, have, I haven't driven the, um, you know, the current uh, hardtop, you know, the, like the, the classic 
two door uh, mini hardtop uh, yet in in the th- current third generation. I'm not sure what the the code is for it, uh, but even the R56, the second generation was was still really good. It still had that mini character. Um, you know, the third generation has gotten a little bit bigger, but it's still it's still pretty small. But the the Clubman's club, enormous. Um, you, you know, when when the when the first Countryman came out, um, you know. Everybody was saying, why, why is Mini making this car so big? You know, and when the, when the new Clubman came out last year. Wait, 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 though. Let me, the club, let's, let's make sure that I'm thinking of the right car. Cause I think I'm picturing the Countryman when I say things like it's enormous. And the Countryman is the, the biggest Mini. Well, well, that was actually, well, it is, it is again now. Okay, so when the original Countryman came out in 2010, everybody complained about how enormous right. it was for a Mini. Um, and then uh, the when the second generation Clubman came out, because the first generation was kind of this odd little s- sort of wagonish version of the of the heart. Right, right, right. And it had so, the clamshell door on one side only, right. and so it was three door like like right. the. Um, the uh, Hyundai Veloster, right? Uh, and then you had the, the the split rear doors, right? And they didn't uh, they didn't flip that clamshell door. So in the UK, that was always like street side, and for exactly <laughs> in the US, that was always traffic side. Um, but uh, so then they brought out the, the Countryman in 2010, and it was considerably larger. And then when they brought out the the, the third generation um, hardtop. Uh, they had the, the classic two door, and then they also introduced a longer four door version, which was actually slightly larger than the original Clubman. So, of course, that meant they had when they brought out a new Clubman, they had to make it even bigger. So, the second generation Clubman that's out now is actually bigger than the original Countryman was. Right, but also th- now I remember this car because this this car launched in like 2015, um, and. This was the said to like herald the new direction for many. They were getting away from some of their kitschiness because uh, they felt like they had run the course. And this car was held up as the it's the cool uncle. <laughs> um, yeah, Mini. I, I don't know that they've necessarily gotten away from the kitschiness kitschiness thing. And I'll, I'll get to that. Yeah. But um, f- first. First thing I noticed about this when I started driving it, you know, one, you know, the fact that it was for when I first walked up to it, realizing how big the thing was, it's it's almost as big as my wife's Civic, um, which is bizarre. Um, actually, it's it's actually still about six inches shorter than the Civic, but it's heavy. Yeah. Because uh, the, the the um, the Clubman, uh, the John Cooper Works Clubman. So you can get the, the base Clubman with um, the 1.5 liter turbo uh, and that comes with front wheel drive. But the John Cooper Works now is only available with all wheel drive. Right. So it's an all four. And the, so the one and the 1.5 liter is the is the three cylinder, right? That's the triple the three cylinder. Right. right. So the, 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 the JCW gets a two liter four cylinder turbo, 228 horsepower, 258 foot pounds of torque, uh, which is good. But this thing weighs thirty four hundred and fifty pounds. Holy crap. Which is 200 pounds more than the first generation countrymen. That's all. That's that's really heavy, and, well, and it's not space efficient either. That's one of the things that I really disliked about it when I uh, took this latest Countryman for the like a, a spin the first time I 
was able to. I was, I was just, I was so unimpressed because it's, it, it's not the ergonomics are like, like we said, kitschy. Um, but also like, I didn't think I couldn't get the seat in the right position. I couldn't see out. Right. Like, I just, I thought I was like, okay. Well, I mean, you're short, so yeah. you know, I can understand you not being able to see out of it. <laughs> I, I, I had no trouble with visibility. I just, uh, well, ex- except, except for the, the classic problem I've always, always had with all minis because, um, you know, they, they've always had, um, relatively upright windshields. And so the, the roof line was, you know, is kind of low and it extends further out ahead of you than most modern cars. And so when you're sitting in a, tra- if you're, you know, at the front of the line at a traffic light, you often have to lean forward to see, yeah. the, see the lights. Uh, it's the, well, it's the Saab 900 it, posture. It, it, yeah. Although <laughs> it, did, it did seem, the windshield did seem to be slanted back a little bit further, a little bit more than the last time I drove a mini, but you still had to lean forward, you know, as, as you say, the Saab 900 posture. Um, it's you know it's certainly the roomiest mini I've ever been in. You know the back seat's actually usable, unlike the original Clubman. Um, you know it's got a reasonable amount of cargo space in the back. I think it's got about sixteen cubic feet of cargo space in the back. So it's it's actually got a reasonable amount of utility. Um, and you know with that you know the two hundred and twenty eight horsepower, two fifty eight foot pounds of torque. You know it's even at thirty four. You know almost thirty five hundred pounds. It's still got decent performance but it doesn't have that go-kart feel that you expect of a mini anymore it's that's that's gone i mean it feel it feels like a a bigger heavier car now and you know it still has a lot of that kitsch you know it still has the the toggle switches they did move the speedometer from the, the the big center dial you know into you know a little cluster you know on a right in front of the driver uh, because you now have a touchscreen occupying that that big center dial that was always there before and of course you know it's got uh, iDrive uh, like like any modern BMW I believe it's called mini connected with nav <laughs> yeah well whatever <laughs> um, it's still iDrive yeah which it's... you know in, in general in general I have you know I'm, I'm actually quite content with with modern iDrive it's it's actually pretty decent I, I don't have a an issue there although apparently i found the figured out what happened to the designer of the original audi mmi system uh he apparently went on to do interior design at uh, at mini because the mini suffers from the same problem as the original mmi audi mmi what, everything goes backwards exactly <laughs> to go down the the list uh, down the menus you have to turn the knob counterclockwise instead of clockwise um, which of course, you know, because the, the menu is on the left-hand side of the screen, which of course is curved to fit into this circular dial in the middle there, you know, you've got this arc. Um, and so it's got to follow the arc it, for the, the same twisted logic that whoever did Audi MMI used, uh, applies here as well. Um, you know, and I suppose, you know, you'd get used to that over time. Uh, you know, this is one of those reviewer problems, you know, where we jump from car to car. Well, no, I think it's more than that. I, I, I agree to a certain degree that yes, it's probably a reviewer problem, but I think it's also like everything else that has a jog wheel on it. We're trained, you know, clockwise is yeah. forward anti-clockwise is backward you know and 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 you expect using the proper english terminology there if you expect to start off at the top of a list and go down the items in the list you're going to turn it clockwise i you know i I agree and you know like i said i think if i lived with it i'd probably just get used to it yeah i'd have to you know you'd, you'd get that muscle memory yeah but i you know, inevitably kept turning the thing the wrong direction, yeah. you know, during the week I drove. And I think as a reviewer, you hate it more and more passionately. 
<laughs> Faster. <laughs> Only because, you know, being, you know, as you say, solidly middle-aged, you know, I'm too old to change. You know, I'm, I'm stuck in my way. Well, I mean, this is an interesting thing, being in a design field, too. I'm always kind of thinking about, because I have to, uh, you know, what the user is going to do with this. You know, when I'm just, even when I'm designing like a landing page, I need to think about, okay, what am I presenting people with? What do I want them to do? Uh, you know, almost like where are the exits? And it's it's kind of the same thing when you're designing any kind of interface for people. Uh, you can get sort of on your high horse and say, well, this is this is the purity of the theory and this all this nonsense. And that's fine. But Joe Carbuyer, who's going to pay for your masterpiece, is going to walk up to that knob and turn it clockwise. <laughs> and you just have to anticipate it and accept it. You know, and, and speaking of other control oddities, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I picked up the mini, you know, when I got back from uh, my trip driving the uh, uh, Cadillac Super Cruise, uh, which we talked about last week. And the first thing um, I noticed when I got in, I spent like two or three minutes trying to find the, the engine start button. Because oh, it's the toggle, isn't it? It is a toggle. It's one of the row of toggles at the bottom of the center stack. But, you know, I, I was looking everywhere else for, you know, a button. And, of course, there was nothing there. And, you know, I finally ended up, I finally realized, oh, wait, it must be this red toggle down at the bottom here where, you know, where I least expect it. Um, you know, again, you know, a, a minor annoyance, you know, that anybody spending, you know, a significant amount of time with the car would, would get over. But, um it it did it didn't uh, it didn't get me off to a good start with the car. Yeah, I don't, honestly after that first R fifty three, and I, I agree the R fifty six had some charm. Um, I haven't really loved a mini like that since, and it, it's kind of a shame. Like I feel like the best Clubman is a BMW X one because it's the same thing. You may be right, <laughs> and the BMW is a lot more useful. Yeah, well, no, like I said, this this current generation of Clubman, you know, has actually got. A, a, a lot more utility than the first generation did, um, you know, with the with the back seats folded down. You know, there's there's actually plenty of plenty of space in there for for cargo. You know, the back seats are actually usable for adults. Um, you know, not not an overabundance of headroom. Uh, but other than that, you know, it, it there was I, I sat in the back um, and had plenty of leg room and, and plenty of uh, hip and shoulder room. So, I mean, you can carry, you know, four adults in the in the clubman without any great difficulty. And, you know, because it's got normal doors now for the back seat, um, you can actually get in and out, you know, without uh, without twisting your back around. So it's you know, it's it's actually a pretty useful vehicle. Um, it's just, it just doesn't really fit the, you know, what, at least what I, so the, the kind of, uh, character that I associate with mini, you know, like, like the R53 and, and the, and even the R56. Um, and certainly, you know, the, the classic, you know, the, the classic, uh, Isaganos minis, right. um, you know, the, I mean, those, those were tiny even compared to the R53. So, um, you know uh, the the other the other issue I have you know even you know when even when the the R fifty three debuted one of the 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 R fifty three actually you know it it kind of changed the way especially Americans perceived small cars because prior to the the launch of the Mini in the early two thousands 
or the relaunch of Mini in the early 2000s, you know, uh, Americans in particular, I mean, Europeans were always into small cars because they paid a lot for fuel. Um, and so they, they went for small, fuel-efficient cars, and, and that was great. But Americans always considered small always had this feeling that small cars need to be cheap you know it's like they were buying cars by the pound <laughs> and if it was small you know it it needed to be cheap um and as a result of not an unwillingness to spend money on small cars you know the the manufacturers tended to make them cheap you know with terrible materials and poor fit and finish and everything um and when the mini came along it was it was like the first premium small car that actually appealed to Americans, um, you know, and it, it was uh, it was relatively pricey compared to the competition in this country, but it did it did well, you know, but this car takes that to a whole new okay. level. Oh, oh, let me let me guess. Does it for does it top fifty thousand dollars? No, okay. not quite. So, OK, so it's like forty seven, forty five, forty five. That's all. I mean, it's a, and the issue isn't. It starts. It starts at twenty five, right? Which is not bad, but you know, forty five grand for this thing is kind of expensive. Well, and it's it's not that it's not that it's not fitted out premium. You know, that it's you do get something for your money. I guess is what I'm trying to say. But it it, it does it feel like you're getting forty five thousand worth out of it? Like where where does the money go? Uh, I would say probably not. I mean, you know, the the materials and the fit and finish is really good. It felt solid and everything. But I, I don't know. I guess it's just, you know, I think if if I had if I had a a base clubman or, you know, a, you know, Cooper or Cooper S, you know, that was, you know, under 30 grand, I'd probably be fine with it. But I think at $45,000, you know, um, you know, considering that, you know, for example, I can get a Civic Type R, you know, for for thirty six, uh, you know, I'd have a real hard time justifying spending almost ten thousand dollars more for a mini. And the Type R is a lot faster car and a lot more fun to drive, and it's bigger and has better utility. But it's not a mini. That's true. <laughs> you're not a you're mini. paying for the exclusivity. Now, I mean, it does. Well, the Type R is actually more exclusive for what it's worth. But it's a Honda. Do you see? We're, yeah. If we're going to be a nameplate snob, I, I don't know. Uh, I can't justify it. I feel like well, I'd, I'd focus on the Type R nameplate then, you know, yeah, instead of the Honda. That's name. that's true. It carries prestige among among those who know. Um, yes. It doesn't sound like it it charmed you even with the mini charms though. The the sort of you know you said it wasn't really go kart handling, but you know its power level doesn't seem like it's a joke. The all four all wheel drive is is pretty good. Uh, it had the eight speed auto, I'm assuming. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. So I, I mean, that, yeah, the, the auto is the only transmission available in the, uh, JCW tragedy uh, or no, no, wait, sorry. You can't, uh, I'm wrong. You can get a six speed manual in the JCW. Oh, okay, good. See, I, I, I feel like, and they, they're not putting a ton of manuals in the, the press fleet. And if they, it, nobody is. And if they were to, I, I feel like I would come away from a, a mini, even even the club in which we've all we've just spent the last 20 minutes sort of professing our dislike for it. I'd come away from that car a lot more positive, I feel, if I had the opportunity to drive it with a manual versus uh, spending a week with it with with the eight speed, which like it's I th and I think you, you might be right. I think I, I probably would have enjoyed it more. It would have been a more engaging drive with a manual transmission. Yeah, because it's super dull. <laughs> without it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not it's not the most um, 
most aggressive transmission I've ever driven. You know, it's not, it's not particular. It doesn't feel particularly responsive when I use the paddle shifters to, you know, tap down a couple of gears, you know, going into a corner, that sort of thing. Um, so it just, I don't know. It just felt, you know, it was quick, but it yeah. didn't feel. Yeah, that's lively. fair. Um, wow. 45 grand. Did it, did it have like a special color on it or anything? That's just, uh, it had this dark green that looked really good. But, you know, again, eh, you know, just, okay. I don't know. It just, it, it just didn't, it didn't, uh, did, didn't do it for me. All right. Well, uh, you, while you were driving a mini, uh, I drove the sort of antithesis of that. I had the Hyundai Santa Fe limited, uh, ultimate all wheel drive. Um, so this is the, the big three row. This is the largest Santa Fe. Um, it, it's not mini. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know that. Um, it's a pretty good family bus, though. Uh, it's absolutely a replacement for the old uh, three-row wagon. Uh, it even feels like that going down the road, and that's not uh, like throwing any sort of criticism at it. It it is just it's just a good big. I know it's a crossover, but it doesn't it doesn't really feel like it. Uh, it, it's definitely more wagony in my opinion. It's it's got kind of like a low step in height. It it looks like a crossover, sure, but it's it's a wagon. I mean, come on, it's based on the Sonata at some point, I think, kind of. Yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's based on the Sonata, you know, to the same degree that you know a current Highlander is right. re- vaguely related to a Camry. You know, I think there's, you know, as those crossovers have gotten bigger and diverged from the. Uh, the sedans uh they've changed you know they've changed a lot more bits and pieces in there so it's not as related as it used to be okay so the family tree has branched but fine whatever <laughs> um it felt more car like than than truck like and that, i thought that was good um you know it's uh it's a really well done vehicle for its use uh you know three three row crossovers are you know what you're going to use those for those are going to be like family cars and you're going to do family car things with them um you know i did think that the the middle row where it's two separate seats that was good at keeping the peace um but you do you miss out on being able to carry more people because there's a, a space in the middle uh i think that's a, that's a fine compromise though uh you know overall it's 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 a, a modern day Hyundai. It was pretty well loaded with tech. It was very comfortable. It was quiet. Um, I was actually surprised how punchy the 3.3 liter um, V6 is in this because this is a pretty big vehicle, pretty heavy, uh, and it still felt pretty powerful when you when you needed some some oomph. Um, and it you know it returned 22 miles per gallon in mixed driving, which is pretty much roughly equivalent to good fuel economy from a big wagon uh since like forever yeah it's just what they've always gotten for as long as i can remember um and you know one of the things that hyundai does really well and we've talked about this is they offer a pretty solid tech package for a, a pretty decent price and so this had uh dynamic cruise it had lane departure a bunch of cameras for parking lots um and I thought the dynamic cruise was was pretty good. It was it was smooth for the most part. Um, it does seem to initiate braking kind of later than I'd like. So I'd be like, okay, system, you're gonna you're gonna back off a little bit. <laughs> you know, maintain your your 
stopping distance. Um, I, so I thought that if it had to deal with a panic stop situation in front of it, um, it, it would not start breaking soon enough, even with the sort of the forward collision warning and stuff. And then it would mitigate, but it wouldn't avoid uh-huh. a, a collision. And, and maybe that's a, a tuning thing. Um, and, and that's fine. Maybe that's a trick that they program it that way. So you kind of feel like you have to pay attention. And that, that's how I felt. I was like, I, I mean, I'll put the dynamic cruise on, but I, I've got to kind of watch it too, to make sure that it's, it's. Yeah. I don't think it has, it doesn't have full stop and go. Uh, it does. No, oh, does it? It does. Yeah. I was oh, impressed. Okay. I, I don't um, think they had that on the Santa Fe yet. It it will uh, it'll stop and then it'll like ding at you and then when traffic moves, um, you just have to either tap the pedal or uh, hit resume. So maybe that's what you're saying, like not full stop and go. It won't automatically uh, resume. Yeah, no, the the yeah, I mean the the not automatically resuming is pretty pretty standard for anything that's not like a semi automated system. Um, <clears throat> but uh, the uh, uh, the the, just that it brings it to a full stop instead of quitting it uh, like 15 or 20 miles an hour is what I was referring to. Yeah. And I, I was explaining that to my nine year old cause he was like, how does it do that? I was like, well, you see son, it has two sensors. I feel very smart. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, the, the overall too, the brakes are, are kind of touchy. So that's where I felt like in terms of driving dynamics, it, it, you know, you get what you're expecting in terms of handling. It has decent power. The brakes felt kind of weak and yet grabby at the same time. So, you know, chalk that up to just another sort of reviewer issue too. like maybe it was what I was coming from. And it just, you know, you get used to cars uh, and sometimes it does take a, a little while, a couple days, a week or so to calibrate your foot. So by the time you're you're used to it, it's gone if you're a car reviewer. Uh- as far as the driving dynamics go, how, how did it feel to you? Because I haven't driven the, the three-row. I've only driven the Santa Fe Sport. And that one felt kind of soft and mushy, you know, and, you know, kind of when you went around corners, it seemed to lean more than I expect of most modern cars. Um, how did the, the big one feel? I think that's probably uh, par, like accurate for it. it. It was It was soft, but it wasn't floaty. You know, it was you, you could feel it do a cycle over, you know, large bump. And it's a long wheelbase, too. So there's some of that sort of long wheelbase feeling to it um, mm-hmm. where where you do feel like the, the front will go over a, a bump or a dip and then you'll feel the rear squat because you're, you're a little further from from it. Um, and, yeah, it did have some body roll and stuff. But again, like, I guess my my expectation was like, okay, this is a, this, it's a family wagon. So yeah, it's set up to absorb some of those bumps. It never felt harsh, which was nice because in, in the past, my biggest criticism of Hyundai is the, their suspensions are harsh and, and they've, they figured that out. So it actually dealt with high frequency stuff really well. And yeah, it soaked up bumps, which led to some floatiness and some body roll. But, uh, you know, for what it is, it, it doesn't, embarrass itself it doesn't feel uh ponderous although you definitely feel that it's it's a kind of a a big thing um i i I didn't feel that it was too bad that's good um you can you get this one and compare notes yeah and for 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 what it's for what it's meant to be for the target audience you know I, i think it's probably fine um you know it's it's not meant to be you know uh a sport 
SUV, um, it, you know, in any, you know, it's, this is not something that, you know, is targeting the likes of, you know, a Grand Cherokee SRT, you know, or even a standard Grand Cherokee for that matter. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely the, you know, the softer, you know, um, more family oriented, you know, keep, keep the kids from, you know, getting too bounced around or, or you know, things like that. And, you know, it wound up costing about the same $45,000 that, uh, your, your mini did for a much more, much more vehicle. If you're buying cars by the pound. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, and this, I mean, this was uh, well, actually, are, are you getting more pounds with this thing? Cause that mini was pretty, uh, yeah, I think this is probably pushing 4,000 something. Maybe a little yeah. more. Oh, you're, I think you're, you're probably. Um, and this is the limited. So it had it had really nice materials inside. You know, it actually, I will say that at 47, you know, the materials feel really nice for, for 30, 35, almost even, even 40. But when you get up to like 47, 46-ish, where this one was priced with the way it was equipped, then you start to, to feel like, okay, the materials are nice, but maybe they're not $47,000 nice. You know, there's that... that it's that's almost like forty five thousand dollars is this this uncanny valley where you start to expect uh just that much more niceness and and we've figured out how to put you know a soft touch on the the you know the places you 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 touch don't touch as frequently yeah and it, it just it was good but you know and and again this is loaded so you're at the top of the range there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere above this. So that's that's fine. You've you've got the car. You've got the leather seats. You've got the giant sunroof, um, which was enormous. Um, you've got all of the tech that they can throw in it. You've you know, so all of all of that stuff for not a you know, I mean, I, I guess if we're talking about like something like the mini being 45 and there's other cars you can get, you know, right at that price, too, like a Ford Flex. You can get mm-hmm. equipped up to that level. And I thought this was a much better choice than the Flex. Uh, maybe the Flex has more room, but this was actually better to drive. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's not it, it doesn't make you feel like you, you paid too much, I guess. Um, th- I did have some demerits, though. Uh, like what? I I feel like if it's a family car, uh, a couple of features that are almost becoming more essential, and I, I hate to say this, but uh, Wi-Fi hotspot, it didn't have it. Yeah, I mean that's especially in in vehicles of this type. You know, uh, the bigger three row utilities and minivans and things like that. Um, you know the the. The vehicles that you're using to haul the kids around, especially on road trips, having a hotspot in there is a big thing. Did it did it have Blue Link and like the the um, the telematics system? Uh, yes, um, I think so. It has that button? I always avoid the telematics buttons because I don't want to talk to the people by mistake. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it has that up in the like the by the sunroof controls. Okay. Um, um, so, you know, it's, that means, you know, it's got a cellular modem in there, although it may, it probably is, you know, in that one, it's probably still a 3G modem. It's probably not a, an LTE modem. Uh, so I would, <clears throat> I would expect that when the, uh, I mean, you know, the, the Santa Fe is getting to the end of its life cycle. And I think we're, we're going to see um, the new Santa Fe uh, and Santa Fe Sport probably maybe as soon as the Detroit Auto Show in January. Yeah. I mean, uh, so, you know, those will probably have have those kinds of features in there. Yeah, it probably makes more sense to um, 
just sort of soldier on with it now that rather than make the, the change to something that's just going to age out. Um, it, it's probably, it, it's possibly not as insignificant as it sounds to me. Like what? Just add LTE to it. Um, <laughs> it's no, you're right. It, it's not an insignificant change, uh, but I mean, even Chrysler. So I had a Ram truck not too long ago that had a hotspot and it was three G, but at least it was a hotspot, you know, like there's, mm-hmm. And it's it's a choice. It's like you know, it's it's an engineering decision. It's a cost decision. So for whatever reason, it doesn't have it. I also felt like it needed more um, more charging ports and higher current charging ports. So uh, yeah, that's that's always annoying. You know, when you uh, um, you know when they when they still have only the uh, five hundred milliwatt uh, charging ports. You know, which is kind of the the minimum for USB. Um, you know, and if you try to use your use your phone, you know, to stream some music or uh, use Google Maps or something like that, that'll drain the battery faster than that charging port can uh, maintain the battery. Yeah, and that was exactly what was happening. Uh, and, and you know, another nice touch are 115 volt outlets in in these kind of cars. Um, I didn't. I I didn't go looking too hard, so maybe there was one in here that I just missed. So I, I don't want to like completely give it a demerit for that. But uh, having those sprinkled around is nice. Um, and then, you know, from a functional perspective, the third row is pretty low to the floor. So I don't think it would be comfortable for adults on long trips because your knees are going to be high. Um, and with that third row deployed, you've got some cargo space. But I, you know, I was thinking about a trip. Like if you're going to put two people in the back, the third row, two people in the middle, you know, two people in front, that's six people worth of luggage. And you don't I don't think you have that kind of room behind the third row seat if it's like a, a weekend or anything more than like some duffel bags or something, you know. Yeah, that that is that is one of the issue with, you know, the the sort of mid-size utilities, you know, the not quite not quite as big as, you know, say a Chevy Traverse um or, you know, Ford Explorer. Uh they, you know, they do tend to with the with the third row in place uh being used, you you do tend to not have as much cargo space as you might like. Yeah. So, you know, my demerits are all generally and the, and the steering's numb. Um yeah. Which who cares in a family yeah. car? Exactly. Um, so yeah, uh, you had probably a little bit more fun, even though you didn't like the Mini. But um, you know the the Hyundai. Well, I didn't. I did. I didn't hate. The okay. Mini. Uh, it's just it's just not not as good as I hoped a Mini would be. Okay, that, that's fair. Um, maybe they'll maybe they'll repent. Maybe they'll make a really small car for you. Well, I mean, you know, they do have the hard top, you know, and I do want to try one of those out one of these days. I mean, I, I, I think that one's probably a lot closer to what I expect a mini to be, uh, even even with the even the four door version of the hard top, um, you know, which is closer. You know, it's, it's closer in size to the original Clubman, uh, but it has four real doors. So I think that one, you know, I think that might actually be a lot more fun to drive than this Clubman was. All right. Well, we'll. I'm sure you'll get in one and next week we can talk about the very visceral small car I'm driving now. And I can tell you all about it and how much you love it. <laughs> and we should just let's. And, 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 the, and the, the visceral part uh, is not the actual dynamics of the car, but uh, your feelings. Uh, no, both, both. Oh, it's, okay. it, this is a car that you will let it just, you're living when you drive this car. <laughs> Uh, well, the 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 car I've got right now that we'll talk about next week is, is also um, 
visceral. Let's put it excellent. I'm sure yours is in its, in its own unit. Yours is probably visceral good. Mine is visceral not good. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. That. All right. Well, let's move on to topics. Um, right. We I've babbled too long about family cars, um, <laughs> so we can talk about the latest. Tr- we you know what we do on the show is we talk about sort of latest trends in in the auto industry, uh, and what I've seen popping up more and more is. Uh, they're trying to get ready for the coming wave of non-ownership. And so uh, Porsche Passport was sort of unveiled this week, and it's a, it's a subscription to a Porsche versus, like, actually buying one. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the first OEM that, uh, that I know of that did this, that launched this uh, late last year, uh, was Cadillac with their book program that they launched as a pilot in uh, in New York uh, and then more recently we saw uh, Volvo launch their Volvo care, care by Volvo program with the the XC40 which you talked about a few weeks ago um, and there's also there's a company um, based out of Atlanta called clutch uh, which uh, Cox automotive is an investor in those guys and all of these guys plus now Porsche with their passport program um, these are all uh, subscription services. So just like, you know, if you're, you know, these days, if you, uh, if you use Microsoft office, you know, instead of going out and buying a box copy of office and loading it on your computer, um, it's far more likely that you're using office 365 and paying Microsoft, you know, five or 10 or $20 a month, uh, for access to all those apps, you know, same thing with, uh, Adobe and Photoshop and Lightroom and, and, uh, Premier and, and all their programs, uh, you know, <clears throat> manufacturers you know, increasingly want to get you on the uh, the subscription train where you don't actually own anything, but you keep paying them, you know, a fee every month, month after month after month forever. Yeah. And you'll never have a time with no car payment. But but and that's almost like a lease in that sense. But like so with the Office 365 fee, it's it's modest. And even with like Adobe Creative uh, Cloud, which uh, I adore um, because yeah, you're not buying the box. It's instantly obsolete, but you you're paying 50 bucks a month for everything. Uh, and you can just download and, that, and that's get, And you get updates all the time. Right. And that's, that's a really good deal. Like, well, right. And you know, that that's actually part of, I think, well, it's, I think it's part of why manufacturers are doing this. And I've, I've written a, a post for the, uh, for the Navigant research blog that, uh, should be going up in the, in the next few days, uh, talking about this, but part, you know, there, there's a number of reasons why car makers are starting to do this now. Uh, and one, you know, is to get recurring revenue, you know, so they, they don't ever want you to be lacking for a car payment. You know, that's, that's one, thing. <laughs> um, we, but, but, you know, yeah. uh, the, the other thing to consider is, you know, one of the things that we've seen, uh, with one of the innovations we've seen from Tesla, uh, since they launched is, um, you know, the idea of getting over the air software updates and getting new functionality in your car through software updates. Well, well, that's cause they just, they they are half baking the cars well, before that, they send them out to the field. Yes, that that is true. <laughs> but you know, if you if you look forward a little bit, you know, to the era where you know now we're you know every car makers are starting to take the idea of automotive cybersecurity very seriously, and they know that you know in in the past, um, you know. 
basically once they sold you the car, you know, except for, you know, repair parts, uh, they, they knew that they were, you know, essentially, you know, not going to get any more revenue from you for that car. You know, that's it. You know, it, it was not a recurring revenue stream. And so there, there's less incentive for them to work, to develop, you know, to, to keep maintaining that, uh, except for when, you know, non-compliance issue, regulatory compliance issues come up and they have to do a recall, you know, they, you know, once they're finished with a car and they ship that, you know, then they're on to the next product and they're no longer trying to maintain the stuff that they've already got out there in the fleet because there's no financial incentive for them to do that. But if you're continuing to pay for these cars, um, now there's there's a, a business model there that helps to finance, you know, ongoing development of those cars, you know, to fix uh, security problems, fix functional problems, you know, ship bug fixes, um, and and then, you know, looking further down the road, you know, as we start to get to autonomous cars and, and mobility as a service, then, you know, the, uh, once you're if you're used to paying for this stuff continuously now, then you'll be used to it in the future. But of course, you know, today, nobody necessarily wants to be paying continuously for this stuff. So one of the ways that they're trying to incentivize customers is by packaging, you know, you're not just paying, you know, this monthly lease, you know, lease fee, but they're bundling everything together. So you get insurance and maintenance and you're not just getting one car, you're getting access to uh, be able to drive, you know, any of a number of different cars, you know, and swap back and forth whenever you like, or, you know, okay. or less whenever you like. Right. And th so that all sounds good. But what I nearly choked on was the price. Uh, even with the one payment covering, roadside assistance like and insurance and everything but gas does it actually work out to be a good deal at like the cheapest you can do is two thousand dollars a month that's a that's a pretty nice mortgage probably probably not but well c keep in mind though you know like with a with a traditional lease you know if you go and lease a car you usually have to put down several thousand dollars as a down payment. And yeah, and that's that's stupid. Porsche, you know, you may be paying you know five or ten thousand dollars down, and then still paying a thousand dollars or more a month. Plus, you're paying for the insurance and maintenance and uh, and everything else on that. Whereas this, you know, for Porsche's got two pricing tiers. They've got a two thousand dollar plan and a three thousand dollar plan. The two thousand dollar plan you can pick from the the Boxster, the Cayman, uh, the Cayenne, or the Macan. And then if you want to drive a Panamera or a nine eleven, you have to step up to three thousand dollars a month. But if you think about what it costs to insure these cars and do you know do all the maintenance on them. It may actually be a pretty good deal. Yeah, I haven't, I, I haven't really priced it out. I, I guess I I'm I gotta readjust my plebeian sense of thrift and yeah. just understand that these are these are cars that cost a lot to begin with, and um, yeah, insuring it, insuring a Porsche is is not the same like few hundred dollars a year as, as insuring a <laughs> Crown Vic. Right, um, and they do come with you know million dollar uh, liability policy, and the deductible is a thousand dollars. Like that's it's not a terrible deductible. I mean, I've, when you if you when you, if you consider what it's going to cost you to fix you know probably almost anything on a Porsche, if yeah. you got to pay is a thousand bucks, that's probably not so bad. Yeah, I mean the policy also has to cover that bus full of nuns you hit with the th yeah, so yeah. it's 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 fine. Um, or yeah, I don't know. Bystanders, as you you know, did your burnout. Uh, <laughs> out of and coffee, right? And this is Porsche, not a Mustang. <laughs> uh, I, I don't. It's 
it's a really intriguing concept. I really like the idea that you you can uh, sort of tailor the car to your needs, you know, because like we were just talking about, you know, if you need the, the family SUV for something, you can get one. If you decide you, you know, you want to commute in something that's a little bit more fuel efficient. Although I don't feel like like the daily commuter kind of person is uh, who this service here is aimed at. Um it, it, that's a nice touch where you can basically just have access to a fleet of cars and, and uh, just sort of pick and choose. So right. And <clears throat> that's where, you know, uh, like Cat, the Cadillac uh, book uh, service, I think their price is $1,500 a month. Uh, and right now that that's just in Manhattan. Um, and that one, you know, if you factor in, you know, what it costs to own a car in Manhattan, that's actually not a bad deal. Yeah. Um, the other one that I mentioned, Clutch. Um, the, theirs is a slightly different model because it's not op- operated by a car maker. Uh, it's a separate company. And what they do is they, they work with dealer groups. And so they, they handle, you know, all of the, the logistics and everything clutch handles the logistics and they'll team up with, uh, with a group of dealers to put together, um, a fleet of cars that, you know, are available to their subscribers. And I think they've got three different pricing tiers that start at seven fifty a month and go up to about 1500 or $2,000 a month. And within each one of those tiers, as they get more expensive, you get access to more expensive cars and at like the top level tier, you know, you get access to things like Aston Martins, but because they're, um, because they're working with multiple dealers from multiple different brands, you actually get a much wider variety of cars to choose from. So, for example, if, if you need a, a Suburban to tow your boat to the lake, you know, in, uh, you know, one weekend, you can get that, you know, and another another day you can get a, a Cayenne and, you know, another day you can be driving uh, a Mustang, you know, or an Aston Martin, depending on which plan you're in there. So there's uh, there's more variety with that one. And that that one, I think, um, in the in the long run, that that may turn out to be a, a more interesting, or at least in probably in the next five to ten years, you know, until we start getting into autonomous stuff, that may turn out to be, uh, in some ways, the more interesting model uh, and the one that might ha- might be more successful. It just feels like sort of like capitalism driven communism, <laughs> like. Uh, Buy, buy the service so you can share stuff. <laughs> I mean, uh, well, I mean, that that's one way to look at it, you know, or buy the service and, you know, you can get access to all of these different cars, um, you know, whenever you like, you know, just that's like, that's true. just like, you know, you're you're paying, you know, and, and I am, you know, paying for uh, Adobe's, you know, creative cloud, uh, you know, and I can I can use, you know, any any of the apps that I'm subscribed to, you know, whenever I need them and don't, you know, don't have to uh, go out and buy each additional one as, as I need it. You know, I've, I've got them all there. Right. And you could just download what you need, depending on your, your plan. But right. yeah, that's true. Yeah. And obviously, you know, the scale is different, but the basic concept is the same. Yeah. And I was actually just thinking, uh, you know, a friend of mine, um, he's in a boat club, which is a very, I give him crap about it. But on the on the other hand, like it, when you think of something like a boat that's on par or, or maybe even more expensive than a Porsche to a certain degree to own and maintain, uh, you know, we I gave him enough crap about it. And then, like, he broke down the cost. And I was like, actually, that's absolutely the best way to enjoy boating because you don't own it. Right. <laughs> it's well, like, it's thing, you know, I mean, for for people that have, you know, they're private pilots, you know, a lot of pilots belong to flying clubs right. you know, where they have, you know, shared ownership 
ownership of, you know, depending on how big the club is, they might have shared ownership of anywhere from two to, you know, 10 or 20 aircraft, you know, different, you know, different uh, general aviation aircraft. And it would be, you know, too expensive for any individual to own, you know, multiple different aircraft and, and maintain them. But as part of a club, you know, because they're not, you know, they're usually as private pilots, they're not usually flying them all the time. You know, they can go out and, and use them as, as they need. Yeah, I mean, I think I've gone from being skeptical to, to sort of like thinking that this is it's a viable, uh, viable way to do things. And, and I. I wonder, though, like we're seeing this at the premium level. What does this look like when when, uh, say, the, the normal sort of person? Are you ever going to get over that hump of like, oh, I want to own the car? And what does it look like, you know, for for normal normal people like uh, the the poor people like us um, or, or me? Well, I don't the, know. I can't speak for you. The, the, <laughs> <laughs> I, we only have two cars in our garage, and and one of them is twenty seven years old. So, uh, for whatever that's worth, <clears throat> the, but um, uh, there's actually something along these lines now. Um, with uh, Maven, you know, GM's car sharing service, you know, they, they have several different services that, that they're doing now. Uh, and one of the services that they have is Maven Home, where they work with uh, apartment building management. Uh, and what they'll do is they'll put a car sharing fleet, you know, the, their, their original, the original Maven service, the Ma what they call Maven City now, you know, was like the, the, traditional zip car style car sharing, you know, where they would have a fleet of cars that were parked somewhere and you could reserve one and, and rent it for, you know, by the hour as, as you needed them. Um, the Maven home service is similar to that, but the, the fleet of cars is dedicated to the residents of a particular apartment building. And so they'll all be parked uh, in the garage of that apartment building and residents can use the cars as they need. And they, you know, they'll have a number of different types of vehicles, you know, uh, ranging from, you know, cruises and uh, Chevy Bolts, you know, Bolt EVs to Equinoxes and Traverses. Uh, so they'll have a variety of different vehicles that, that will be available. Um, and I'm not sure, I think it, 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 ver I think it depends, it varies from, you know, building to building. Uh, but, you know, some buildings are actually doing this as one of the amenities that they're offering their residents, you know, giving them access to this, which means that they're probably bundling the cost of it into their rent. Uh, but, you know, that's that's at a more mainstream level, you know, not not, you know, in a um, in the more uh, luxury uh, tier. Uh, so I, I think we're, we're going to see more of this sort of thing and, and see some sorts of subscription services, you know, more more types of subscription services and different types of business models emerging over the next few years as uh, as companies experiment with what are com what are customers going to want to do? How much are they going to want to pay for it? And that sort of thing. What figure out what works and what doesn't. Well, yeah, I mean, I was trying to think, like, what would it need to look like for me uh, to to invest in or like to be just just tying myself to like, I'm not going to own the thing. I'm going to just uh, have access to these these vehicles and, and what like number per month is is reasonable for that. And and. I mean, well, seven fifty is a stretch. Yeah, I mean, do, I mean, do you have a car? Do you have a payment on your Grand Cherokee? I do, uh, and it's 
Oh, probably uh, what okay. four or five hundred bucks, maybe. It's three or four hundred bucks. Okay, yeah. so you know, if you could get a, a subscription service for four hundred dollars a month, or well, let's let's say you know for five hundred dollars a month that included insurance and maintenance, is that something? That's that would, a, that, that's a deal. Yeah, <laughs> like that's I mean, that's a good deal. And, and that's the thing is you get, you. Get, you have to factor in you're not just paying for the car, but you're also paying for these other components, the service and the maintenance. And, you know, in some cases, maybe parking. Uh, you know, if it's in an urban area, you might also have access to parking. Uh, right. Which, you know, if you look at a place like Manhattan where parking is a thousand bucks I mean, a month. Right. Parking you know. is, is insane. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. if you, you know, if you can bundle that in as well, you know, it, it actually starts to make a lot of financial sense. Yeah, but but I'm going to say like at that 500 bucks a month like yeah, I'm going to want service insurance parking uh you, you know it's going to come to me with a full tank of gas, it's going to be washed and cleaned and all of that. You know, some some concierge is going to drop it off. Oh, and I don't want like the Grand Cherokee Limited for that. No, 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 no. It's going to be an track overland hop? or it's a summit, you know. It's it's like the, and that's sort of I guess the 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 trap that we get in, right? Like if I'm going to spend the money, especially because you've got multiple people spending 500 bucks a month, so they're aggregating the cost, you you know that the company's making some sort of – you hope the company's making some sort of profit um, or at least revenue so they can afford slightly nicer vehicles. You know, it's that lease game, right? Like you lease a slightly nicer car than you'd actually be able to afford. So right. I, I, would, I would hope that if I'm spending 500 bucks a month and not getting anything but usage out of it, I, it would be something nicer than I would actually buy for myself, but that's just the optimist in me. <laughs> or, well, or the you know, and, and I, you know, I think that's, that's not a totally unreasonable expectation. All right. Well, I, there'll be more of this. I, I feel like this is, this is the future of the future. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. We're going to talk about this more. We're going to talk about autonomy more, um, but we should, let's step back and talk about um, sheet steel. <laughs> yeah, sheet metal. Um, and you know, that, it's, it's funny. You know, the the, the uh, financial markets, you know, hate hate the auto industry because they're nothing but a bunch of metal benders. And you know, maybe stuff like <laughs> this is maybe why they don't like the uh, the auto industry. Well, okay. So this shocked me because a it's it's a, a Japanese company, it's Kobe Steel, um, and they just false. They have this this burnished reputation for. Like just the highest quality stuff, the best, you know, most efficient production. It's the you know the 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 Japanese totally kicked our ass um, on on steel and production and everything. You know, thirty years ago, and they've just had that position, and now they've they've been caught falsifying data. That's terrifying. Yeah, you know, um, it's funny. You know, it, it used to be you know back in the day. That, uh, you know, there was in a car, there might be one or two grades of steel that were used, you know, to build a whole car. Um, but these days, uh, you know, as weight has become an issue and manufacturers have to meet all these crash safety standards and everything else, um, there's actually in a typical car today, there's a lot of different grades of metals, you know, not just steel, but aluminum and magnesium and um, and, and of course, copper for the wiring. And, um, uh, you know, all these steels, you know, come at different costs and they're used in different areas, you know, so in some places you want a really stiff steel, um, you know, to give, give rigidity and other places, you know, you want something that's maybe a little bit softer, you know, as part of the crash structure to absorb the energy of a crash. So it doesn't get fed into the, the occupants. And so 
the engineers spend a lot of time picking just the right grade of steel for every single part that goes into a car or the right grade of metal, you know, because, it, you know, most cars today are a mix of steel and aluminum and magnesium and, and other materials. Um, and so, that, you know, there's, there's a lot of effort that goes into um, designing that and, and picking those metals. And you expect to get those materials when you when you order those from the supplier like Kobe Steel or, or any other metal supplier, you expect to get the, the right stuff so that it protects your your customers properly in the event of a crash. And it turns out that uh, some people at Kobe Steel um, were shipping metals that uh, were did not match what was on the paperwork that was going with them. And uh, that's potentially going to be a huge problem for Kobe. Yeah. So what does that mean? Like, it's it's not such a big deal if it's like, you know, a body panel here and there that you can remove. And, and like, it's still a big deal and it's expensive. But if you're shipping out like, you know, fenders and hoods and stuff like that. But if it's like part of the the unit body, you know, if it's deep in there, that's that car's got to go back. They've got to yeah, make it, you whole. They've got to crush it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if you know, if you're talking about something like a, a frame rail or a B pillar or, you know, an A pillar, um, you know, or some some part of the structure, you know, those are not parts that are just bolted together. Those are welded and, you know, in some cases uh, glued as well, you know, to give them extra strength. And you can't just take that stuff apart and, you know, swap out parts. You know, basically, if it's part of the main body structure of the of the vehicle, um, if it's determined that, you know, there's a metal in there that is not going to withstand the crash requirements, they're going to have to buy those back and crush those. Um, and that's going to be way more expensive than, you know, for example, the the ongoing Takata airbag uh, recall, you know, which is you know the biggest recall of all time. You know, I think, it, I think they're closing in on 100 million vehicles that have airbag inflators that need to be replaced. Um, you know, and I don't think the, the total numbers for this one are going to be anywhere near that big, but, um, the cost could end up being way more than the, the airbag recall. So like, this is potentially the end of Kobe steel. If that's the thing that happens, D depending on how far this spreads, you know, and, uh, the latest report today, I mean, we first heard about this a couple of days ago, uh, but the latest report today looks like, um, you know, the, the falsification of, of records extends well, f quite a bit further than they originally reported, um, you know, and initially, uh, you know, and, and Kobe doesn't just sell the, uh, metals to the auto industry. They also supply um, uh, aircraft industry. You know, like they, they sell they sell aluminum to Boeing, for example, <laughs> and to Airbus. Um, so, you know, that's that's not a good thing. You know, uh, originally, you know, in the first reports, you know, they were mentioning Honda and Toyota as being big customers. Uh, but uh, GM uh, is also a big customer of uh, of Kobe. And uh, so this, you know, this could very easily spread uh, far and wide and be, you know, extremely costly. And also uh, mentions here in this report, I'm looking at uh, space rockets. Uh, so I'm not sure if uh, SpaceX buys metal from Kobe or if this might be referring to uh, uh, ULA or one of the other uh, aerospace companies. But uh, yeah, this is this is not good. Where where are you left as like a a consumer like do you even trust the car to to keep you safe like 
I, I'm kind of on the fence. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm not planning on hitting something, but I, I don't have, I have less faith today than I had two days ago when I first heard about this. Uh, that the things are going to do what they're supposed to do. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know that we can trust any big company anymore. Not, not that we ever necessarily could, <laughs> um, right. but. You know, I, I think we we at least, you know, had our heads far enough in the sand that we thought we could. And, you know, now our heads are being yanked out of the sand and we've got to come to the realization that uh, big corporations simply cannot be trusted. Yeah. And, and the, the, like the reasoning behind this was just because it's it's expensive to meet those those certifications and, and, and whatever and, or those standards. So they were just making crap up and putting substandard metal out there. Like, why I would guess, you why yeah. would you do that? Um, you know, I mean, in, in the process of making sheet metal, uh, you know, or, or, you know, any, any metals, you know, there's when they, when they, uh, make these alloys, you know, they're, they're all, you know, all these metals, you know, whether it's aluminum or magnesium or steel, um, you know, there's, you know, the core, the base materials, you know, the base aluminum, you know, um, in in the case of steel you know it's it's iron and carbon and, and they mix in a lot of other things to get the right properties that they want and then as they're you know as they're manufacturing each batch you know they're supposed to test you know test for the the various properties to make sure that it, they've got the right mix in there and that it has the properties it's supposed to have for whatever parts it's going to be used for and you know, if if things weren't mixed quite right, you know, if there was any problem in the process, um, you know, it's it's kind of like, you know, if you want, if you ever watched uh, Breaking Bad, you know, and you saw what uh, what Walter White went through in, in making his meth, you know, and and <laughs> watch, you know, looking at, at the how he controlled the, the processes, it, it's it's actually pretty similar to the way, you know, uh, metal alloys are made. You know, they there's there's a lot, um, you know. Everything has to be kept at just the right temperatures. You know, you've got you got to have just the right mix of all the materials that go in there. The rate at which it's cooled uh, has an impact on on what the properties are going to be. If it cools too fast or too slow, you know, it's going to be harder or softer or tougher um, or more brittle. Um, and you know, so if if there's any process problems along the way, that's going to impact what the end product is. And you know, ideally, what should happen is if if there was an issue with the process, that should you know that should basically go back and be melted down, and you start over again. But um, and that's one of the beauties of working with metals, you know, is you you have the option to do that. But that's also very costly, and you know, clearly they decided that no, we don't want to do that. We're just going to ship this anyway. Right. We're going to make shake and bake metal. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to make. It's the, it's the equivalent of making a two liter bottle. Um, let's not discuss our meth experience any further. It's, it's, hey, it's just a TV show. I'm, I'm just using I'm using it as an example in pop culture that people might be able to relate to if they don't have a degree in metallurgy. OK. All right. Um, I mean, this is this is just another in a a, a string of this stuff, too. Uh, you know, we had like Mitsubishi for years was just making up fuel economy. Numbers. Yeah. <laughs> like. That one I was amused by. They're just like, now we just made stuff up. <laughs> and of course, you know, as I mentioned, you know, the Takata airbags, uh, yeah. Toyo tire and rubber uh, had a big uh, scandal a couple of years ago with fabricated data on their on their uh, tires. Um, so, you know, it's just it's not good. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of like, what's next? I guess I mean, and to a certain point, like, 
uh, okay, nothing terrible has happened. But do you know now? Well, and so basically, we, we don't we don't necessarily know, you know, because things might have happened that we, you know, were ended up being attributed to other causes. You know, people may have died um, for reasons, you know, that were attributed to other causes that may have actually been exacerbated, um, you know, because of issues with the way these vehicles are manufactured. Yeah. Uh, well, in the meantime, um, are automakers switching suppliers or like what's? Uh, it's not that easy. I mean, you know, it's not like there's an overabundance of, of capacity available, you know, to just say, OK, I'm going to go, you know, to, you know, Hyundai or, or some other company uh, to get my steel or aluminum, you know, I've or, got or, it. at Alcoa. I've got it. This is going to be really, really cynical and political. So. Just give me a minute. <laughs> but we have this coal industry, right? And you need coal to make steel. And we have this steel industry. Both of those are not doing well in the U.S. If we want to bring them back and make them great again. Oh, maybe this was a manufactured controversy. Mm. OK, I'm done now. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll just rebuild those steel mills overnight and start manufacturing okay. steel again. Um, it's an opportunity. Don't leave it on the table. That's. <laughs> All right. If, All right. If, if anything, you know, they'll, they'll probably end up sourcing more of it from uh, from China or somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess it's and, and so the idea of, of China making uh, substandard goods and sort of dumping them in this market is we're, we're past that. You know, and that's the question that we get sometimes with, you know, how do you feel about a Chinese car? And I'm kind of like, I, I have a lot of stuff that was made in China. Some of it's very high quality. Some of it's junk. Uh, you only get out of it what you put into it. Same as manufacturing in the U.S., as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's it's only as good as your oversight. So um, I guess we can be comfortable with, with that if we're just going to increase our investment in Chinese steel or our purchasing of Chinese steel. I, I guess that's fine. Um, but it, it's like, is that's that's like a two, three, four-year process, right? Even to get started versus like, We've got to deal with this thing today with with COVID. Yeah, um, you know, I think first thing they've got to do is is figure out you know what was what was mislabeled and and trace where those products went, you know, which manufacturers they went to and which cars um, or aircraft or rockets <laughs> those materials went into, and and make sure that they get dealt with first. That sounds like fun. Oh yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, I, I know that. Speaking of trusting big companies, yeah. I'm, um, I'm, I'm trying to get there. I'm trying to bridge. It's just not working. So you, you take it. All right. So uh, Waymo, the uh, let's we'll, we'll skip the other one uh, that I was going to rant about tonight because uh, we're already running over an hour. But I'm so uh, disappointed. Yeah, Waymo, uh, the uh, spinoff from uh, from Google that is doing the self-driving uh, vehicle systems. Uh, today issued uh, their first safety report, uh, and it's uh, we'll have a link to it. You can read it for yourself, but it's it's quite interesting. You know, and earlier this week, I think they started running some ads in the Phoenix area, and clearly, you know, what they're trying to do here is. Um, they uh, I think they're they're trying to build a level of trust in their self-driving vehicle systems, uh, their automated driving systems, um, because I think 
increasingly, especially for for the Silicon Valley tech companies, I think there's an increasing perception that uh, these tech companies perhaps um, should not necessarily be trusted as much as we have over the last uh, 10 years or so. Um, you, know, you don't say. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I still have, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, I still have a lot of trust in, in Google, you know, uh, but, um, uh, you know, I think when it comes to stuff like this, especially where it's safety related, um, you know, I think the, the trust needs to be earned a lot more. Uh, and so they, you know, they put out this big safety report today that goes through in quite a surprising amount of detail, you know, how their automated driving system works um, and what, you know, what are the components of it? What are they doing to make sure that they're safe? What are their test procedures? You know, how are, you know, it talks about cybersecurity, uh, which is something I don't think that they've ever talked about before. And certainly um, most of the companies, certainly I don't think any of the other um Automated driving company, you know, startups in in Silicon Valley uh, have talked about uh, cybersecurity as an element of their systems up to this point. I haven't heard of anybody doing that, uh, so it, it's it's pretty interesting, you know. And we'll see if this actually helps them try to build the level of trust that's going to be required uh, in order to get people to actually adopt these vehicles. Because Waymo, I guess, is is getting ready to really launch their um, their automated mobility service, at least in the Phoenix area, sometime in the coming months. And so they want to make sure that everybody is confident that, you know, they can get in these vehicles and they'll safely get them to where they want to go. Uh, you know, it's interesting. There's a lot of transparency in this that you wouldn't expect. Uh, there's a lot of explanation of, of their technology and how it works and their test procedures. Um, have you seen anything like this from from other companies that are working on this, this, this no. seems like the first kind this of comprehensive is, thing I've seen. Yeah, this is this is far and away the most comprehensive uh, report I've seen of uh, you know of this type from a manufacturer. Well, I, I don't know I can, that we can really call Waymo a manufacturer, but one of the companies that's involved in this space. Um, yeah, no, nobody else has done anything like this that I've seen. Uh, and you know, a lot of the, a lot of the things that they talk about, uh, you know, in terms of redundancy, you know, one of among the things that they've done in their latest fleet of uh, the the Chrysler Pacifica uh, minivans that they're using, you know, they talk about uh, having uh, redundant compute platforms. You know, so if your main computer uh, goes down for any reason, there's a there's a backup that's able to take over and bring the the vehicle to what they call a minimum risk condition. You know, basically to bring it to a safe stop um, out of harm's way. Uh, they've got redundant braking systems, redundant steering systems. All you know, all these things. Uh, you know, in the the last report that I did on recently on uh, automated driving technologies, that's something that I wrote about in there quite a bit uh, about the need for this redundancy. And this is something when uh, a couple of weeks ago, when GM uh, introduced the third generation of their Bolt automated Bolt uh, prototypes, that they talked about as well. Although they they didn't go into nearly as much detail about what they've done. But, you know, they did talk about the fact that they've built redundancy into their system. And that's something that automakers traditionally have not done, uh, you know, with, uh, with vehicle systems because, you know, they've always relied on the fact that there's going to be a human driver that's available to take over, you know, and, and that can take, you know, that can handle the situation if, if some, of, you know, some of the various systems in the vehicle fail, like, you know, for example, you know, if your power steering dies, 
Uh, you know, you can, you know, the human driver can still turn the steering wheel. You, you have to put more effort into it, but you can still control the vehicle, you know, or if your brake booster uh, breaks you know, and, and, you know, if you, if you lose your vacuum, you know, if the vacuum hose falls off or something, um, you know, you can still press the brake pedal, you know, harder and bring the car to a stop. Um, but if there's, if you've got a vehicle that has no controls for a human to take over with, or may in fact be operating, you know, in between passenger pickups with no human on board at all, you know, you've got to have systems in there that can do the same thing if you have a failure without the, without having to rely on a human backup. Yeah. And like, I'm just looking through it. Like this actually seems like a, a playbook to what you need to do if you want to get into this space. Like another, it's almost like they're confident enough in what they've got going on that, uh, they're giving away a lot of information and a lot of thinking. Uh, and you could basically use the outline of this to say, well, here are all the steps we need to take and the things we need to be aware of if we wanted, wanted to create an autonomous uh, driving platform. You could use this as a, as a, a playbook. Yeah, well, I think, you know, the, the things that you see in here, a lot of it, you know, are the things that you would normally do anyway, you know, if you're an automaker. You know, uh, in terms of the the testing and and the safety requirements, um, you know, the, the, they are the things that automakers do day in and day out uh, as part of their validation process. Where, you know, what's unique about this is that you know this is coming from a non automaker, and it's something that you know, you know, company like Comma AI, you know, is probably not even thinking of. Uh, right. Well, and the Tesla approach is like just trust us. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and. You know, um, and, so this and is that I would never do. <laughs> this is this is kind of the you think they see the fingerprints of like John Kraftchick and, and oh uh, absolutely yeah yeah, yeah I, I have no doubt that that uh, you know John was heavily involved in putting this document together. It, it's I mean I it's just come out so I haven't really had a chance to do anything but scan it and I, I you probably took a little more time to read through it um, more comprehensively but uh, it's it's pretty fascinating yeah. And, you know, every company that wants to play in this space is going to have to do all of these same things, I think. You know, I think any let's put it this way, any company that doesn't do this, I would not trust, you know, to get into one of their vehicles. Huh. Well, all right. So we'll have a link to this and we can check it out and uh, we'll be able to discuss more next week once we have a chance to, to read through it. All right. Oh. So why don't we uh, why don't we hit some Twitter questions? All right. Uh, I actually have a question for you. Oh, okay. Um, we didn't really get to it. It wasn't one of the topics this week, but it, it happened. Uh, I think it was early or it was over the weekend or, or something. Um, GM bought Strobe, a lidar sensor manufacturer. It was that's kind of a big deal. <laughs> um, it is, but it, you know they're they're not the first uh, to do that. Uh, you know, last year, uh, Ford invested $75 million along with an, uh, Baidu also putting in the same amount into Validine, uh, you know, the company that does uh, all those spinning LiDAR sensors you've seen on all the uh, all the prototypes up till now. Um, most uh, a number of uh, other automakers and suppliers uh, have invested in various LiDAR startups. Delphi, in fact, has invested in three different LiDAR startups that have that each have 
different technologies they're all working on sol various types of solid state lidar with different approaches to the to the problem uh, they've, they've invested in quantity systems uh, Innovis and uh, letter tech um, and so I think you know everybody part part of it is that you know manufacturers and suppliers don't want to be left without uh, access to some of this technology you know especially the the lower cost stuff um, that's going to be more viable for production and uh, increasingly with automated driving you know uh, there there's a I think there's a feeling that you know they need a certain degree of um, ownership of all of the pieces both the software and the hardware that are going into these systems because they're going to be responsible they're going to be liable for the performance of these systems and so they want to make sure they understand everything about them and the only way that they're going to be able to do that is if they actually own it yeah well i it's probably solid for them at this point too well they've still got the pockets that are deep enough <laughs> to, yeah to to make those purchases um and, and snap this stuff up i just thought it was and because from from there, you know, GM has the the platform. They've got uh, like you were just on the drive with Super Cruise. Um, you know, they've made really deliberate strides. And now to add the the sensor manufacturer in house, uh, they're not there yet, obviously. But having that capability all sort of under the corporate umbrella. Uh, that's yeah. And I mean, you know, even Waymo, uh, you know, they started off using Validine LIDAR sensors and over the last eight years, you know, they've gone from using those off the shelf sensors to developing their own and making their own in house. And that's what they, that's what they're using on their current generation of vehicles is, is a complete sensor suite that they have designed them, designed and manufactured on their own. Yeah. And I mean, they get exactly what they want out of it, which I think probably helps them get exactly the performance they want and. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see where that goes. It's, it's cool, though. I want a company that GM is yep. going to buy. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? Um, all right. So, yeah, Twitter questions. Um, let's see. What do we have first? Let's see. Uh, well, first, uh, I'd like to um, let's see. Where is the uh, – got to find this one. Uh, I think in the, what, about 11 years or so that I've been uh, – uh, an automotive journalist. Um, I've had countless people ask me what vehicles to buy and almost inevitably they go off and buy something else. <laughs> um, but, uh, let's see. Oh, it was on Facebook. It was, it was somebody on Facebook that, uh, uh, actually had, uh, there we go. Um, Amber uh, sent us a, sent us a note about a month ago uh, asking about uh, replacing her GTI, and we had a conversation about that. And uh, one of the vehicles that we suggested was the Mazda CX-5. And uh, Amber uh, reports back that she actually went and bought a 2017 Mazda CX-5 Grand Touring, and says uh, Mazdas are really underappreciated in the car market. And I I absolutely agree I agree with, with that, that. But if there's any problems with it, it's not our fault. That's right. <laughs> but it's okay. We'll, we'll hook you up with Robert Davis, uh, senior right. VP at Mazda, if, if you have any I mean, issues. we only drive them when they're brand new, and they're usually pretty nice. So, <laughs> what? Well, you know, I've got I've got one that's 27 years old, and it's still great. Right. So there's, there's that. I'm not complaining. Okay. All right. So back to Twitter questions. Uh, ben asks, explain how wheel speed would be synchronized if one axle is gas-powered and one is electric. Okay. See, this I, I, oh, go ahead. Uh, just this version of all wheel drive is frequently mentioned. Right. That's like a uh, through the road hybrid. Um, yep. And 
so my completely non-engineer answer is, well, there's wheel speed sensors and uh, they, they'll, they'll, they'll just match the speed, <laughs> like the <laughs> systems, you know, that, it's that, that is, that is part of it. Uh, you can, you can adjust the, the torque from the, the motor and the, does the wheel speed have to actually be, I guess it's equal anyway, because it's on the road, right? Like. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the road surface will inherently equalize the two uh, because you don't have a, a direct mechanical connection between the two axles with this with this type of setup. Um, and, you know, this is commonly used on a lot of um, a lot of all wheel drive hybrid systems. Um, you know, so, you know, the, you'll have uh, electric motor at one axle, gas engine at the other. Um, and because there's no direct mechanical connection except through the road, the road will inherently tend to equalize it. Uh, I mean, you try to you try to control it as close as you can by the wheel speed sensors and managing the torque output to each axle. Uh, but the you know the the nice thing about uh, you know with the electric motors is you know it's kind of like with a torque converter. Um, you know if you overdrive it a little bit. Uh, you know, put put a little too much juice into it. You know, the the resistance you know will, will fight back. You know, so it it tends to balance itself out. It reaches an equilibrium. Yeah, well, and, and like that's also sort of the point when you consider uh, it, it, obviously like a through the road hybrid is a little different than torque vectoring, but you want to overspeed one of the wheels depending on what you're doing uh, to get rotation. And so, I mean, I'm thinking very specifically about about torque vectoring um, for for improving cornering performance right but even even if you're just driving straight down the road um you know if you're you know putting a little too much or too little juice into the electric especially in the electric drive axle you know it will tend to balance itself out you know based on the the resistant the the reactive force from the road through the tire um so if you if you underdrive it a little bit you know the road will inherently speed it up just as it would as if it was undriven entirely you know the road the road is going to um, you know, keep it going at the same speed as the, as the other axle. Um, and then, you know, if you overdrive it a little bit, uh, <clears throat> you're going to see some slip start to develop there, you know, some wheel spin and, and then the stability control and the traction control will, will cause it to back off a little bit. So it sounds like they've got it all figured out and doesn't have to work. Yeah. It's a piece of, piece of cake. Yeah. <laughs> Works great on the Honda NSX. Um, I, I mean, NSX is for all, so we can all try it because I haven't tried it. Yet. Absolutely. Um, all right. Next question right. is, uh, what are you most excited for at the Tokyo auto show? Is it the Supra or the Mazda concepts? Uh, Jarrett wrote this and he says for him, it's both. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I don't, has Toyota actually acknowledged that they're going to reveal the new Supra in Tokyo? I have not heard anything official, but I haven't been paying super close attention. Yeah, I haven't heard any official announcements about a Supra there. Uh, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if we saw it there, um, or uh, they may hold it for uh, for LA or Detroit. Um, so we'll we'll see about the Supra. But we do know that we are going to see uh, two Mazda concepts uh, in Tokyo, and those are I, th I think those are actually the ones that perhaps have me more excited at this point. Um, the uh, one uh, teaser image that they released, you know, looks like uh, 
an RX type uh, sports car. Uh, and uh, if that thing's powered by a rotary engine, I will be very uh, thrilled about that. And then uh, the other is going to be a preview of Mazda's new design language, um, which uh, is expected to be a preview of the, the next generation Mazda 3, uh, which is one of my favorite uh, small cars. Yeah, I, and the, so there's this speculation that the, they're not going to be a rotary thing, but I, you know, the sources I've seen that have said anything kind of specific or kind of specious sources. Yeah. So I wouldn't necessarily trust them all that it, much. It probably um, won't be a rotary, but you never know. I mean, it it, uh, it could be um, a hybrid, you know, like a, an extended range EV type of vehicle using the rotary uh, as the range extender. Oh, that would be smart. Yeah. That's like a perfect use for a rotary. And, you know, they, uh, Mazda has gotten a patent on doing exactly that uh, about a year or so ago. Uh, they got a patent for using a, a Wankel as a, as a range extender for an EV. So that would not surprise me at all if they did that, if they showed something like that. And then the the, the Mazda 3 concept uh, is, I think, going to have the Skyactiv-X engine in it. Oh, cool. Yeah. But that's, I mean, we just, you just talked with the... Mazda was it Robert Davis, right? You just mentioned him. Mm -hmm. Talking with him about that. So. Yeah, I saw him last week at a conference here in Detroit. All right, uh, next up. Um, oh well, hang on, oh, okay. hang on. We didn't talk about the Daihatsu stuff that we're not getting. That is, oh. the, I think those are the coolest ones. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that we're going to see another Mazda little sports car, right? Like or something or other. There. Uh, I mean, a uh, Honda. I'm sorry, oh, no, Honda. Honda. Um, yeah, I think so. Um, I don't think they've said exactly what that's going to be, but that, yeah, I mean, that's, that will probably be something pretty interesting as well. And, uh, I'm not excited for the Toyota, the, the other stuff, the box thing. No. TJ Cruiser. No, that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're into land cruisers and, you know, granted, you know, there's a, there's a small but uh, loyal following of of uh, the land, you know, the classic Land Cruisers, the FJs, um, and you know the the last FJ Cruiser as well. Um, you know, you'll you'll probably like this thing, but uh, you know, it's not something I'm interested in. It's it's bad. Okay. Yeah. All right. Sorry, didn't mean to, to hold us up. I just wanted right. to make sure we covered all the, the concepts. Jared also had uh, a second question. Uh, he's uh, also expecting a child uh, in March. What is your best parenting advice, and how do you get them into cars? <laughs> Those are two really long <laughs> topics. Uh, you've you've successfully gotten them out of the nest, so, and you go first. Uh, well, as far as getting them into cars, you know, I. I can't say that I was necessarily particularly successful on on that one, especially with the younger child um, who's not uh, not in, not really into cars at all. Um, the older one, uh, our, our older daughter, has actually uh, started to get more into cars in the last couple of years, um, and is actually seriously considering replacing her Honda Fit um, with uh, a Toyota eighty six. So um, she, uh, you know, as far as how we how we got there, you know, I think it's. You know, you can expose them to cool cars, but it's going to be entirely up to them if they're if they're ever going to get into them. Um, parenting advice overall, uh, you know, just <laughs> do, do your best to keep your sanity. You know, uh, just try to stay calm in the storm. Uh, you know, try not to try not to lose it. Um, you know, get, <laughs> especially when when, you know, when they're infants, you know, try to 
catch some sleep whenever you can, whenever you, whenever the opportunity arises, because there will be plenty of nights, plenty of long nights, probably where you don't get nearly enough of it. So naps, yeah. naps are good. You know, if you get the kid to lay down for a nap, uh, if you have the opportunity to, uh, lay down for 20 minutes at the same time, go for it. And everybody says that and you're like, when you're in this situation, you're like, I can't do that. I have so much stuff to do. No, I totally take the nap. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. The, it's like you know the what? best. The, the, <laughs> whatever, whatever it is you might have to do around the house, the nap will actually be far more beneficial. The other stuff can wait. Um, yeah. I also haven't found, so I, it was important to me to not try to push uh, either of the kids to uh, be into stuff that I'm into. You know, like they, they know that I, I do the thing with cars and they're mildly interested. I'm really interested in seeing what their reactions are to the cars, but I don't, I don't try to uh, sort of force it. You know, I'll, I'll ask questions and just be like, well, what did you think of this? Um, you know, it's funny. They both love vans, like minivans. And, and uh, you know, when I was a kid, the van was the antithesis of cool. So it's interesting to see that they, they love them because they they sit like kings and they have windows they can see out of and the vans usually have TVs. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that that was always a big thing when there were rear seat entertainment systems. They love those. Yeah. Um but it's I haven't really been uh like well this is this is what we do. Like if they're interested cool and like even with working on the cars like if they're interested cool I'll I'll show you some things but if you get if you get bored like that's okay. Like go go do your thing. Um, and, and I find that like by not trying to get them into cars, they, you know, they're, they're, uh, you know, meet them where they are, I guess is what I'm saying. Like I, I wind up doing stuff that's not cars. Yeah. With, uh, you know, and just in general, you know, let them find their own way, figure out what it is they want to do. Uh, yeah. you know, the find find the things that they enjoy and and you know encourage that you know within reason of course yeah i've been playing a lot more basketball than i have uh wrenching on vehicles lately um yeah. uh i i will say i got my son uh need for speed most wanted and he's he's nine and that was something he loves video games and uh he liked like there was some uh lego game that he had i forget what it was like lego city undercover and so you drive around in that game and he knew all the cars in that game and all of the things and the goals. So he was exposed to the sort of that idea of a game. And then uh, the Need for Speed game, the graphics are that much more interesting and the cars are, you know, he, it's funny. He learned all the cars. He's like, Dad, I won the Koenigsegg. Right. <laughs> he, he couldn't say it, but it was like. the well, nobody the, can. The, right. Um but he that game has gotten him super into cars like he loves the Raptor. And this, it was nothing that I, I pushed. I was like, hey, I think you might like this game. He picked it out. Um, but uh, yeah, that that's been over the last six months or so. That's gotten him really into cars. So now he'll, he'll like drive around and he'll ask his mom <laughs> questions like, mom, do you like cars? Do you like trucks? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know. Not being a rabid fan like uh, the rest of us are, um, you know, like normal people are kind of just like, well, I mean, kind of. I like to go places. So, um, <laughs> they're, they're a tool. Yeah, they're a thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I, uh, I my best advice for parenting is just um, try not to be too tightly wound. I do not succeed. That's <laughs> <Yeah>. all. <laughs> just relax and go with the flow. Yeah, um, you could get. Get a little drunk every day. That usually <laughs> helps if you have a problem relaxing. It, it works. <laughs> 
Uh, and on that note, let's. Uh, why don't we call it a night? Um, all right, cool. Uh, oh, we did have. Uh, that, that's a long question. Maybe we'll we'll save that till next week. Yeah, good idea. Okay, all right. Anyway, I'll let you get to bed. Uh, so we'll see everybody for episode forty-three soon. Thanks for listening. Drop us a line. Uh, if you have any questions, we are wheelbearingscast at gmail.com and you know where to find us on the social medias. Uh, so we'll see you next and, week. And, and don't forget to uh, give us a, a rating or a review on uh, iTunes or you know wherever else uh, you happen to find us. Only good ratings. Yes. <laughs> the best. We, right. we love the ratings we've gotten so far, so just keep it up. <laughs> All right. Thanks. All right. Bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.